Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JustBaseball, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Stuff to hit on today is Thursday, April 20th. This is the Just Baseball Show. You got two of us today, three of us tomorrow, Jack and Aram today. Um, I've got some headlines that I want to run through. Zach Wheeler looks okay, like not like Zach Wheeler typically. Really backwards game in Cincinnati on Tuesday night. And then Clayton Kershaw is the king of all kings right now. So it was a really interesting night of baseball on Tuesday. We're talking to you before the slate on Wednesday, but we do want to talk about um, a debut that is coming later today, this afternoon in Oakland, which will be freaking awesome. But how are we doing? Doing well, man. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for the Mason Miller debut. We talked about it on yesterday's uh, episode, and I guess for those that are listening to that episode now, like they they would have either you know put circled their calendar, or got ready to watch that, and by the time people are listening to this, would have already watched. So uh, hopefully he threw well. Um, I'm I'm really pumped about the feature piece we put out there too on him. His story is super cool, uh, but I think there's very few things that get me more fired up than a vet, a legend, just just going vintage. And I don't know if it's if it's vintage with Kershaw because it never really left. Yes, he's adapted 
he's become a little bit different. He's not the same pitcher in terms of velocity and and maybe stuff plus. Uh, although I, I haven't looked at that much, you know, through the years, but I, I would say like what he did looked like the best Clayton Kershaw we've seen, which is saying a lot because it was one of 61 and this was a codify stat. What was it? Seven scoreless inning outings that yeah. he has had. It was yeah. either six or seven inning outings with no runs. He's had 61 of them. I'm pretty sure it was seven. Uh, that's a joke. That's absolutely insane. And he's done that from his early 20s to his early 30s. So we're going to we're going to wrap with with talking about Clayton Kershaw. Um and we'll talk about Mason Miller here. And you know what? Why don't we just knock Mason Miller out of the way right now? Mason Miller, what do you expect from him seeing this Cubs lineup? I mean, obviously you and Peter hit on it yesterday, but uh, I mean, this guy has hardly thrown any innings in professional baseball. And here he is starting a game against the Chicago Cubs who are really hot. What what do you expect uh, this afternoon or yesterday afternoon? Well, you know, I think the one thing that that Mason mentioned in the interview on the call up that I think is really why we see him up in the big leagues right now. And it wasn't, you know, I don't the way he said it wasn't in an arrogant way because I was asking him about jumping all the way to AAA. And he said, and it's pretty simple. My I think my stuff plays anywhere. Yeah. And and it's true. It it does. It plays anywhere for him. It's really just about health. And uh, we saw him jump from high A to AAA. And guess what? 102 is still 102. And it's 102 with 20 inches of, of vert, which is just unhittable. Um, I think he's going to overpower guys. I don't know if we're going to see him stretched out. It might only be four innings. It really depends on how efficient he is. But I, I really do believe that he's going to overpower guys through three, four innings as long as he doesn't you know, run into any command issues. I think they're going to be very careful with him, though. But what I did love that we saw in the headline was that he's here to stay in the rotation. This isn't just like a spot starter, you know, just a cameo. Like the plan is to keep him in the rotation, which is very cool because the A's, at least we make fun of them. They're, they're a joke of a team right now. They called up Jordan Diaz as well. Really good offensive prospect that just, just hits. Yeah. seems like they're, they're very open to calling one of the young guys. Yeah. Jordan Diaz, you know, a, a corner infielder that doesn't necessarily have insane pop, but he can, realistically reach a ceiling where he hits 300 for several years in a row. So really interesting guy. Obviously you guys talked about Miller start in Vegas, five, no hit innings, 11 punch outs, only got a reach was on a drop third strike. Uh, I'm not going to fill in any color on Mason Miller. I'm going to do something a little unique and I'm going to hold my phone into the microphone and play this soundbite from David Forst. Who's the uh, GM of the Oakland A's. This is from NBC sports Bay area, like or NBC sports, Oakland, I guess. Um, this is from their pregame show, the A's pregame show. This is the A's GM describing why Mason Miller is starting today. <laughs> we talk a lot about young players and prospects forcing their way here. Uh, I watched every pitch Mason threw in Las Vegas the other night. Uh, and if that's not forcing your way here, I don't know what is. Um Look, he is he is inexperienced and he is young and he will have ups and downs. And I'm not here to say that, you know, this is going to be a straight line up for the rest of his career, but he's incredibly talented uh, and a number of factors made it so that he's the right guy to, to be here tomorrow and start the game. We talk. A- That's as simple as it gets. That's awesome to get that from from your GM is, is pretty damn cool. 
I, it's it's the Jordan Walker thing, right? It's the yeah. Volpe thing. Like those guys forced their way there when they by no means needed to be on the opening day roster, and that's what Mason Miller just did in Vegas. It's pretty pretty damn awesome, and his story makes it even that much more awesome. So yeah, uh, hopefully hopefully he throws well. Articles linked uh, in the show notes. It's at justbaseball.com or I'm snapped on the feature piece. Um, I want to hand out an award real quick. Corniest headline award. Um, I've got two of them. I sent one of them to you. This was after Logan Webb signed his five-year $90 million extension. Fangraphs did like a newser article and their headline was Giants make like Spider-Man extend Webb. Corny. But now here's one. Trey Cabbage, who's in AAA for the Angels. He's, he's in Salt he's Lake. He's my goat. He's my goat. And and apparently listener of Show and Go, as you're yes. the, which is sick because he is literally my favorite minor league player. I think I'm going to do something on him very soon. So he shit on a baseball on Tuesday night. 487 feet against Tommy Henry, nonetheless. Um, and it was a fastball high and tight. 487 to right field as a lefty bat, left the bat at 111. I mean, he mutilated the baseball. Down on the farm, who does a great job covering minor league stuff, uh, they've got a great Twitter account that I follow. Um, they they said, cabbage turns a ball into slaw. It's like, all right, that's, <laughs> that's cringy. Um, I think that's a bit funnier than Giants make like Spider-Man extend web. So I give cringiest headline to fan graphs, although yeah. down on the farm, I appreciate the effort. That That's like, cringy. that's a lot of effort into the, <laughs> into the play on words. I will say us at just baseball are guilty of some, some corny uh, headlines and, and corny stuff when we have the uh, tweet highlights. Uh, and again, yeah. if you don't follow us on Twitter, Ethan Vidowski uh, and, and Elijah do an awesome job just kind of breaking down um, every game, like every highlight of every game. But Ethan, man, I know when Ethan's on the sticks because he, he will go mega corny on some of those headlines with the player highlights, but they'll make you laugh out of like discomfort and it keeps you briefed on what's going on in every single game. So follow us on Twitter as well at just BB underscore media. Um, yeah, I'm going to start doing corny headline watch too. I'm going to start looking out for that. I love corny headline watch and Ethan Badowski. He has made it more clear than anybody else I've interacted with what college he went to. Um, you can tell with pretty much every single tweet regarding Pete Alonzo that Ethan Badowski is a University of Florida alum because the Gator emoji comes out in droves on the Just oh, Baseball yeah. Twitter account. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So tough one from uh, Ethan. But you know what? We love him so dearly. Next thing on the agenda, what where's the level of concern with Zach Wheeler for you? And Wheeler got the win yesterday. It was his first, but I mean, it was like as tough a win to see in the box score as you can find. He went five innings. He allowed four. Zach Wheeler so far this year is sporting an ERA just under five. And I was looking at the pitch mix, the pitch data, and, and I was trying to figure out why are we not getting peak Zach Wheeler right away? And the answer could be because it's cold outside. Um, you know, I immediately look at how he's got a slider and a sweeper right now, and the slider is good, but the sweeper's bad. I can't really solve him. This is a guy that I've been struggling to get a read on. Because because Sandy, you know, it's, oh, Sandy's going to bounce back. Other guys that are struggling, Zach Allen's going to bounce back. He did bounce back last time out. Wheeler, I I have no idea what's going on with him. Yeah, so the the two things that stand out to me that I'm looking at right now um, is the chase rates on his fastball are down a pretty good deal. 
Um, and, and as a result, also the chase rate on his slider and just across his arsenal is down a pretty good deal. But chase rates on the fastball being down typically is a testament to maybe less shape, less life. Um, he's still getting a decent amount of end zone whiff, which is good, but it's still slightly down as well. Um, and just less swings, period. So I, I do wonder if if just the the life, right, the the vertical break, the, the spin rates might be slightly down. I don't have that in front of me. Um, but it is interesting. The one thing that stands out is chase rate on the slider, sub 20%. You don't like to see that. And that's what really stands out to me. I guess that would be qualified as the sweeper on, on Savant. I'm looking somewhere else. Um, but to see that and also on that slider, it's a 52% strike rate which is incredibly low. Yeah. Um, what percentage of usage do you have in front of you on the sweeper for Zach Wheeler? Of a sweeper, I've got 15% usage. Okay, so it's probably blending on what I'm looking at with, with yeah. the slider. But something I want to specifically hit on here and something I see a lot with prospects is that the sweeper is, we talked about it a couple episodes ago, slider basically with more horizontal movement. What does that usually entail? Harder to locate, right? Like that is really hard to locate because it's moving so much. His strike rate so far on on his slider, which inc- would include the re- regular slider that he throws and the sweeper, uh, is fifty two percent. That's just really low. So you're getting guys that are just like, just really laying off of it, daring him to throw it for a strike. Fifty two percent strike rate, thirty six percent swing rate. That's kind of tough uh, when that's usually his bread and butter off of the fastball. Uh, I, I I'm interested. I think he, I think he's a, a breaking ball tweak away from from getting rolling, but. Anytime you see a 52% strike rate on a slider, and that's including the sweeper and the slider, you, you don't love to see that. Yeah. The the other thing that jumps out to me just by like the standard numbers that you get in the box score, Wheeler's hit totals are higher than they typically have been. This is the first time, regardless of sample, that he's been in Philly and he's starting year four in Philly, that he is at more hits allowed than innings pitched. His last year in New York, 196 hits and 195 innings. So that's right at nine. But this is the first time it's creeping into 10 since I want to say 2017 when he only threw 86 innings, which is interesting. And like, hey, maybe when it's warm out and his body is feeling perfectly right and he's loose, we know this guy is such a good arm when he's loose. Maybe he's just not loose right now. So that that might just be it. You know, and, and this is somebody, too, that's been around for a while. Obviously, he's had his own issues with with health in the past, but you know, we've seen him kind of have that up and down of like when he's feeling right, he is lights out. And then sometimes he's he's not hurt. He's just not feeling 100 percent. And, you know, we we see the stuff a little bit diminished. I, I The one thing that stands out to me now, I'm looking at Savant across the whole arsenal, down 7.4 percent on the chase rate from last year. Mm. That's a big difference. And again, chase usually is going, you know, coinciding with, you know, how much your stuff is jumping. What's interesting is the whiff rates are slightly higher. So it's just kind of a mixed bag. I think it's small sample size theater here a little bit. And I think he's going to get going. Um, But I think he's got to find that breaking ball. But the fastball still playing pretty well, has a negative run value. I think everything else will kind of get rolling for him. But um, I think he's got to find that that breaking ball slash that slider slash sweeper uh, to find the consistency there. One thing I didn't have on my list that I got to bring up here. How about a one nothing win for Detroit over Cleveland in game two of the doubleheader? Took an hour and 50 minutes. Eduardo Rodriguez went eight shutout, punched out 10, didn't walk anybody. Z-Rod back? Are the Tigers back? Is baseball back at an hour 50? Uh, uh, E-Rod, yes. Baseball, yes. 
Tigers, no. Yeah. Um, I actually do think Erod is is going to have a nice year. I said that before the season started. I thought he looked really good in spring training. I think he's going to have a nice year. Um, and and that was a big outing for him to do that. I mean, that's a a Guardians lineup that's that's not bad. I know they're not playing to the to the potential that we're, we're we were expecting, but against any MLB team, eight shutty with ten Ks, no walks is is pretty damn good. Um, that's huge. My question is is if Erod is doing this all year where are the tigers at to decide what they do we talk about teams that are like you know a year or two away that need to identify the players that are a part of the the future are the tigers realizing that maybe they're two or three years away and do you maybe trade erod uh if he continues this obviously we got to cross that bridge when we get there but if erod's pitching well that contract doesn't look bad at all. It's it's honestly probably fine. And I think that there's a legitimate chance that Erod can pitch very well. He had one bad outing to start the year. Not even bad. It was just four and two thirds, four runs. It was on two homers against the Astros. Bounced back against the Jays with six innings of one run ball. And then did what, what we just saw him do yesterday. If Erod's good, five years, 71 in this market is is nothing. It's, so- it's nothing. So what you're telling me is Eduardo Rodriguez is going to start in the NLDS for the St. Louis Cardinals and Mason Wynn is the shortstop of the future and they move Baez to third? (laughs) Mason Wynn, if that's what they get, that would be be gross. (laughs) Because here's the thing. Erod has an opt-out in 2024. Ah, shit. That can complicate things. Could complicate it or it could not complicate it. Because if nobody – like even if the contract's not bad – it's not. It might not be a financial commitment that people want to be hitched to, right? Like, especially when you have what Erod has has kind of gone through over the last year. Maybe you don't want to be attached to that player for four or five years. Yeah. So instead, it's an expiring deal with the chance of maybe him opting in. If he opts in, you're like, okay, he's opting in for three years. It looks like like fifty nine million, something like that. Um, fifteen point four annually, roughly a little bit more than that. That's not a bad deal if he opts in. Look at the Taiwan Walker deal. If he opts out, it's a rental, and you got a pretty good rental. So we were Peter and I were talking about like pitching options for the Cardinals and couldn't really find one. I think we just found one. It might be Erod. Damn, that would be so weird. And like I can see Erod sucking when he goes to St. Louis, but that's beside the point. Um, a who puts up a better WRC plus in twenty twenty four? Terry Carpenter or Spenny T? Oh. <laughs> Um, I think Kerry Carpenter. How about this? We year? talked about Spencer Torkelson last episode too. Like it, it, Kerry Carpenter rakes. Like I actually think Kerry Carpenter is is a legit, legit, legit bat. Said that before the year, and he's off to a pretty damn good start this year. The big walk off homer. Um, I think it's more of a testament to Carpenter than an indictment on on Torque there, but that should never have been the case, obviously. Gotcha. Who puts up a better WRC plus, K- Kerry Carpenter or Taylor Walls, fresh off a two-homer game in Cincinnati? <laughs> <laughs> what a weird game, man. What a backwards-ass game. It's legitimately not fair if Taylor Walls is good. Uh, like, it's it's actually not fair. I, I, the two-home run performance, obviously, Great American Ballpark. Like, that, that is where guys like Taylor Walls thrive, I feel like. But... He's a phenomenal defender. We've talked about that. I think that the struggles offensively kind of got to him. But but now he looks like he could be an everyday player. Like, are you buying this? Obviously, it's been no. 12 games. 
No, but no. he's a big leaguer. He's a big leaguer. Yeah, I mean, he's a great defender. And for some reason, didn't the metrics hate Taylor Walls last year? Yeah, I really think it was him taking the offensive struggles out to the field and the metrics just kind of hating him a little extra, kind of Bobby Witt style like we're, we've are we talked about in the past. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah just – we don't fuck with Taylor Walls. Like eleven <laughs> defensive runs saved, but negative eight outs above average. What? When I see something like that, and then I dive into the video and I see a good defender, sometimes I'm just like, okay, that we can just kind of just take it for what it is. Like Taylor Walls is one of the most respected defenders in the Rays organization. I've talked to minor leaguers who say Taylor Walls taught me defense, yeah. and then the, it says negative eight outs above average, so I'm going to say he's ass. Like no way, there's no way I'm doing that. So especially when you got one of them too, when you got the DRS, like. Sometimes there's, I wish I knew enough about what goes into both of those yeah. to contextualize that. But this is one where I just got to say, dude, trust me. I've talked to enough people around Taylor Walls to like say that he is a special defender. So that's it's just it's just fucking annoying because now they've got Josh Lowe doing his thing. They've got they've got like everybody doing their thing, and it's annoying. So what I. What I was going to take you to was they're all doing their thing against Nick Lodolo, and then they've got Taj Bradley doing their thing too. Tampa is 15-3. and three. It's incredible. And on the heels of an 8-1 loss in a game that Hunter Green started and left, all of a sudden you've got Lodolo starting against Taj Bradley. You think, okay, um, you know, second career start coming on the road against a guy that looks as good as any pitcher in baseball right now, maybe not named Cole or Otani. And then they just light up Nick Lodolo. Like his box, his final line was something I would have never guessed never. going into Tuesday night. He doesn't make it out of the fifth. 12 hits, eight earned, punched out four, walked one, three homers. Lodolo throws 101 pitches, 59 for strikes. I could have never imagined Nick Lodolo looks like that against Tampa. But is that how good Tampa is? I think so. I, I think the way that they can just mix and match, right? They they can match up against lefties and uh, and put a pretty good lineup together. And then also, you know, again, you put them in Great American Ballpark. They they had the plan of just hitting the ball in the air, and they did it. Uh, it was just pretty impressive. But easier said than done against Lodolo. A hundred percent. And I think Lodolo didn't have his stuff. Obviously, like he was missing middle. Uh, he didn't look all the way like Nick Lodolo in the past. But it takes a good team to capitalize on that, and they absolutely did. And then on the flip side, to have Taj Bradley do what he did, pretty much the day that you get the Jeffrey Springs news, and, and Peter and I were talking about how you know how depressing that was because of the emergence of Springs, how cool it's been. Thank goodness he got his bag. But you you know have Taj Bradley calming down every single Rays fan, I would imagine, because you're probably losing your mind there. You're like, here we go again. And Springs is supposed to be one of our best guys this year. What are we going to do? And then Taj Bradley steps in. And yes, it was the Reds, but the Reds lineup isn't a total pushover of a lineup. They've got some guys that have been swinging it well. Yeah. Five and a third, three hits, no runs, one walk, nine Ks. Taj, I'll be honest, exceeding my expectations in the big league call-up so far. Yeah, I mean, this guy, he's what? He's a three-pitch guy, right? He's fastball, curveball, changeup. Yeah, but I, and I'd argue like it's really two, only two pitches that I truly, truly trusted, but the splitter is playing way better than I thought it would. And I think that's been a big difference. Yeah. And I mean, obviously we've, we've talked about his fastball before, but Bradley, I'm not expecting this at great American ballpark. We talked about it. He's a four seam guy. He's a fastball up in the zone and he allows three hits. He throws into the sixth. 
Taj proves that Tampa knows exactly what they're doing when it comes to pitching. And while they have run into the injury woes with Glasnow being TJ and then an oblique thing and Boz being TJ and now Springs being TJ, like it all sucks. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that they have ammo waiting in Durham and they can deploy this is so incredible to me. And, and you made this point on the Monday show. Like, you'd like to just see Taj in the rotation every fifth day. Now we're going to see it for the next yeah. year. I thought last start was very indicative of that too, Jack, because he threw 84 pitches. And we talked about how first AAA start, 55 pitches. Second AAA start, 51 pitches. Uh, the first big league start, they stretched him to 78. And then I thought maybe that might be the limit for a while. They stretch him to 84 last start. So I think they're, they're trying to progressively stretch him to 100 and have him be that full-fledged starter for them that they can stretch out to, you know, triple-digit pitches, which is awesome. Uh, he's an athletic pitcher. Hopefully he, he should be durable, you know, and you can't predict those kind of things. But when you look at Taj Bradley, man, like, don't you just see effortless and, and you know, durable? Hopefully that that remains that way because there's been a lot of guys. We would have said that about Shane Boz too. Yeah. Uh, but it, it looks good so far. Three ground balls, four fly balls, uh, and nine K that more hit hard. Yeah, dude. I mean, shit. I strapped in for a great pitching matchup and I just I didn't get it. I got yeah. a 10 nothing game. Sometimes, sometimes that happens. Can I can I chalk it up? I, I mean, dude, I dealt with it on Tuesday night. I had Liberator who Oh yeah. I, I actually haven't even seen the box score. What did that look like? Because we, we teased fine. that in the last episode. We said Jack's watching Libby right now when we were talking about the Cardinals. Yeah, uh Libby looks good, man. I mean, that curveball is beautiful. It's and, different and, now. It's different. It's a bit tighter. It's up a couple ticks. I, I was just looking at like how the pitch profile has changed from last year to this year. And we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but I mean, it is a direct thing. Every pitch he throws, he throws a four seamer. He throws a curveball, He throws a slider, like everything spin is up. MPH is up and effectiveness is up. Like, I mean, when you say and command is up. Is up. And command is up. Like, this guy's stuff ticked up. Like, it doesn't get more clear that a guy's stuff ticking up than Matthew Liberator. You could see it. Like, Cal Mitchell, who is a big league hitter, like a, a guy that got up, played about 70 games with the Pirates last year. I mean, he was swinging underneath fastballs that were over the heart of the plate, but a little upstairs because it's got a little bit more of that gravity-defying nature to it. It's got a little bit more of that spin, got a little bit more of that IVB. And it's missing over bats. And then the curveball, dude, I mean, he located it on the back door to Nick Gonzalez two times in a row, back-to-back -back pitches. And I was like, holy shit, we're in for a treat here. He did run into some pitch count issues. He had some tough luck against him. I want to say he was three earned across five. Um, they gave him four. They, oh, yeah, that's right. He should have had three. They gave him four because there was a, a ground ball – that got under um, the third baseman's glove. I could have sworn it was an error, but they gave him a single. Very next pitch, a double off the wall in left. On replay, you could clearly see that it was foul. It hit to the left of the yellow line, but AAA umpires are not given the benefit of replay. So he got hosed on a single call that should have been an error, and then he got hosed on a double that should have been a foul ball. 
and that's back to why back. it's hard to to just run on stats in the minor yes. leagues and you need the data and, and some context because that's extremely helpful yeah uh, on that front i wouldn't be worried that was his worst outing of the year at five and two-thirds eight hits sounds like it was really six mm-hmm. or four earned runs one walk six k's so yeah uh, it should have been maybe two three earned runs six k's and i'll I'll, find out. I'll be just fine and I'll tell you right now, he he looked good. So yeah. where were we at right before the Libby thing? Do you even remember? Before the Libby thing? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Shit. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> the Braves. Um, God, I mean, here's the thing. Like, we just talked for 30 seconds about Libby, but everybody else remembers what we were talking about. So we're going to be really pissed when this episode comes out. I'm sure. Um, let, let's go to the Atlanta Braves here. I just want to, like, throw some appreciation on them because – Max Freed comes back from his hamstring thing. Freed looks great. They supply him early offense in San Diego. They win 2 nothing. Then Spencer Strider gets the ball. Strider looks awesome. And they bludgeon San Diego 8-1. And you get homers from some of those guys that we talk about. Like, hey, while the bottom kind of sucks, while this left field DH thing kind of sucks, they got homers from Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, Ozzie Albies. Acuna looks great so far this year. Austin Riley looks great so far this year. You mentioned they're without Michael Harris. This team's a freaking wagon, man. That's yeah, a wagon. Also, we were talking about Taj Bradley and the the would have been pitching matchup with Lodolo. So I think we were properly moving on. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so we were good. We're good. No, no reason to be pissed. Perfect. Uh, the Braves are a wagon. And the craziest thing is I tweeted this about the Marlins today because the Marlins are off to a, a pretty nice start. I picked up another big win. And the Marlins and the Braves have one thing in common. <laughs> They can get better through addition by subtraction. For yeah. the Braves, it's just stop giving at-bats to Marcelo Zuna. And I also just think, like, why do you even want that? That guy's getting booed by fans because he's a bad player and by all means has done things that a bad person would do. Uh, and then Avi Garcia for the Marlins, he's just terrible. And to the point of, like, you could put in any replacement-level player and he will be better. I think with Ozuna given that he can't really play defense anymore and he's not hitting, you could put in any replacement level player and he'll be better. So both of those teams, obviously the Braves are much better, like could just add by subtract. I do wonder how much longer the Braves are going to ride this thing out. I don't think much longer, um, but I wonder how they do it because Gwinnett's lost 10 in a row. Their AAA affiliates lost 10. Like that is a depleted team, especially with Ian Anderson out right now and Elder doing his thing up at the big league level and then Kyle Muller in Oakland. So like all the pitching intrigue is gone. You got Schuster and Dodd down there, but Schuster and Dodd just feel like they're kind of understudies for the big league rotation right now. But the bats are terrible. So I think they have to trade to go make an improvement there. Also, I'm sorry to take you here, but I want to take you here for a moment because you mentioned Marcelo Zuna and just an objectively bad dude. Um, I finally got like the full context and watched the video highlights of Bauer's first start in Japan. It wasn't even in the NPB. It was in like the minor leagues. It was in front of under 3,000 people and his sword and walk off like the way the way he walks pisses me off. Yeah, it's, it's like, like Ophi Waddle type shit. I just needed to get that off my watch. Chest. Too many McGregor highlights or something. Wants to be the guy so bad. Uh, like it's just bizarre. I I just needed to throw that in there, like in front of a, a nothing crowd and like a minor league game in in the NPB. Like I don't know. I just so don't like that guy. But we, yeah. we move off of him really quickly. Yeah, I but, think they have to trade to improve that bottom spot. So 
Ozuna, think about what you're getting right now from your DH. And it's funny, it's it's not unique to to the Braves. A lot of teams are not getting anything from the DH, which is really funny uh, in retrospect <laughs> because we talked about like, oh, we need more offense. We need more. Baseball was better teams. in the 40s when there wasn't a DH. <laughs> yeah, there's several teams that ha- are getting like pitcher level production from the DH spot. <laughs> and and I'm not kidding. You could let Max Fried hit. Obviously, you wouldn't because of the injury right now. But he's a pretty good hitter. But if you let Max Fried hit, I promise on everything I own, I he would not be worse than 085, 204, 234. Max Fried wouldn't be. I can't speak for Strider and some of the other guys. I've never seen them hit. But but Max Fried would not be worse than that. Um, you, you mentioned they have to trade. They could do that. I, I, I think you know they're playing well. Like you said, they're a wagon, so I don't think they're going to. But if you cut bait with Ozuna – then what do you do? I, I think ultimately you have Darno who comes back and, and could be your DH. Yeah. That's a fine DH. Even if he's hovering around 750, like OPS, then you flip-flop him and Murphy. You should keep those guys in the lineup pretty much every day, especially Murphy. He's young. You want to get him off his legs behind the dish, that's fine. He can DH. He can DH. He'll be just fine. So I, I like that move, and that might be the, the way to approach it. Hell though, dude, I'd rather have Kevin Pillar playing every day or even even Eli White, I don't care, Ugh. than Marcelo Zuna at this point. Name a player, I'll take him. And it's the same story with the Marlins. Like the Marlins are somehow winning games right now, which is really good and really fun. Yeah. Addition by subtraction, plug Peyton Burdick, who hit another 116 mile an hour home run. I don't care Ooh. if he strikes out 50% of the time. He's going to be better than obviously El Garcia defensively and offensively. The problem is, and Listen, this is less of a problem for Atlanta, I think, because they need to make a smart baseball decision with Ozuna right now. But that's really expensive bait to cut. Um, Ozuna is making 16 this year. He's guaranteed 16 next year. And then he's got a club option at 16 and 25. That is being turned down quicker than you can blink your fucking eyes. But Avi Garcia, the Marlins are in a different financial situation. They're at a different stage. Like they're not competing for a World Series. So I understand like not wanting to just cut that and throw that many million dollars away. Um, With the Braves, though, there's going to come a time where they have to look at the $32 million combined they owe Marcelo Zuna this year and next year and say, I don't think it's worth it. I I think it's coming. I really do think it's coming. Um, And when you're playing well, despite that, it's almost like a silver lining. And then also with the way Sam Hilliard's been playing, I don't know if it's going to last. It's a dozen games, but you have to figure maybe he found something enough to, to be a decent contributor. And if he's a decent contributor, then, you know, that's interesting. He's also striking out like 40% of the time. But um, again, that's, it can't be worse than what you're getting. So I'm very interested to see how, uh, how Alex Anthopoulos cooks in this situation. He seems to always pull something out and do something right. And they do a really good job of finding those like undervalued players. I was talking about this with our own Clay Snowden um, and Clay Snowden was like, yeah, it's going to be pretty annoying when the Braves hit up Oakland again and trade yeah. for Seth Brown. And if they if they trade for Seth Brown for what will presumably be scraps, Brown's on the shelf right now. Yeah. I want this investigated. If the Braves make broker another deal with Oakland and get Seth Brown for what I would presume to be very little, even though he has multiple years of control, I want, I want these teams investigated ASAP because Olsen, Murphy – and then Seth Brown, who I actually think is one of the most underrated players in baseball. Um, I, I really hope they trade Seth Brown to somebody else, but they should trade that dude. 
Dude, you're you're saving you're saying this half an hour after I play a David Forst audio clip through the microphone. Unbelievable. <laughs> um yeah, Hilliard Hilliard is so funny and like he's my least favorite player and favorite player at the same time because he's fast as hell. This guy in the early going through 12 games. He's got a 40% K rate, a 17% walk rate and he's hitting the ball on average at 96 miles an hour. He is I'm going to punch out, I'm not going to swing and when I do I'm either going to miss or I'm going to hit the shit out of the ball. Yeah. This is like Joey Gallo with more speed, which is hilarious. I'm in. I'm in. Let's just ride it out and see how long this can, this can sustain, which I don't think is much longer, but yeah, that's a good, that's a good bench player. Yeah. Last thing I want to do is heap praise on Clayton Kershaw, the pitcher. Um, Cause this guy, you know, I, I think that he has probably had a shorter shelf life than some of the other pitchers of the generation of Verlander, a Scherzer, although Scherzer was a late bloomer. Kershaw got going early. He's about six years younger than Verlander and Scherzer. But Clayton Kershaw's peak is better than those guys. And Clayton Kershaw should be undisputed the best pitcher of our generation. Seven innings, three hits, no runs, nine Ks, and no walks. Clayton Kershaw just collected his 200th career win. And this guy, I mean, he's 288. He's got a 694 career winning percentage. That's the best winning percentage of all time I saw with starters with more than 400 starts. Dude, so I, you mentioned the shelf life thing, and I, I understand shelf life in the in through the perspective of like his prime because now he's one hundred and twenty five innings a year over the last two years. But I was thinking about this, and it's really up to just whether he has another back flare up or health flare up or whatever. But this guy could probably pitch three more years. Like we were saying, the writing might be on the wall. Like this could be it, and he might want to ride off into the sunset. And I don't blame him if he does that either. But I think he's kind of taking this year-to-year approach and kind of just seeing how his body responds. And obviously, he's one of the best athletes that we've seen, you know, on a mound in the last 40, 50 years, really, uh, in terms of baseball and and what he's done. I wonder if something clicks, a new approach, a new way of maintaining his body in this modern, you know, approach to baseball where we learn so much about and just science in general and, and biology. Like we've just learned so much about the human body and ways to preserve it, especially on a high end athletic scale. What if he squeezes out two, three more years? Yeah. Is this guy the best left-handed pitcher of, of, of the modern era? That's a great question. Randy Johnson had more longevity and Randy Johnson in his four straight Cy Young campaigns. I mean, was a, was a freak of nature, like absolute freak. But then you look at Kershaw and I know that, um, you know, I I've heard some pushback from you and Peter, I think when it comes to like voting awards voting, but I think when you look at a career that does kind of matter to the writers when they're looking at the hall of fame case. And I just want to walk you through Cy Young voting from 2011 through 2017. That's a six-year stretch, seven-year stretch. First, second, first, first, third, fifth, second. Unbelievable. So when you want to talk about seven-year peak for a guy, 
there wasn't a better seven-year peak. And then here we are looking at a guy with a 2-5 ERA. He's thrown 25 innings in four starts, which leads the National League, 26 Ks, four walks. This is what he's done for his entire career. He's walking two guys per nine. He's punching out 10 per nine. And he's got a career 2-4-8 ERA in 2,600 innings. And he is probably going to get to 3,000 strikeouts, which is as rarefied air as you will find any pitcher. And what's super, super interesting is that the velocity is actually up like almost a full tick. So if that's a thing, then he might have an even better year this year. But what stands out to me is the way he's been able to kind of reinvent himself as he's aged, you know, as as it's not as many 94s and 95s, just using the slider as a weapon. Now, we know about the patented curveball, but that curveball, you can only throw so many times in a game. He uses a slider now. And his command of the slider is comical. And so when you look at like what he did last game against a really good Mets team, seven innings, three hits, no runs, no walks, nine Ks, he knows that he's not going to be able to blow the fastball by guys. He knows he can't throw the curveball more than 20 times a game. He throws the slider 47 times, Jack. 38 strikes. Dude. A slider. 38 strikes on 47 pitches. And so far this year, 120 sliders, four or sorry, excuse me, 160 sliders, 120 strikes. It was the same story for him last year. So what he's done is he's basically become able to command this slider better than his fastball, throws it more than his fastball, and now he has two pitches that he can pinpoint: slider wherever he wants, fastball wherever he wants, and then still the iconic curveball. This guy's gonna get outs. I think he'd get outs at 80 five miles an hour like this guy can get outs as long as he wants to get outs and as long as his body lets him yeah in mvp three-time cy young winner nine-time all-star a pitching triple crown five era titles he does have that 2020 world series the accolades are all there and i guess the question that i would want him to like answer you know unfiltered and truthfully and i've never seen him on the record say it um i think that in in the non-jackass way he's kind of like rogers in the sense that He's like, yeah, I don't need to keep playing this game. Like, I'd be very content retiring. That's the vibe that I've picked up from him. So if I could get him to, like, answer truthfully, knowing that, you know, he means it, how long does Clayton Kershaw want to keep pitching? Because I think Verlander wants to keep pitching until his body won't let him. I think Brady wanted to keep playing football until his body won't let him. But Rodgers, I think, is going to leave some stuff out there. I think David Ortiz left some stuff out there. Uh I could see Kershaw leaving some leaving some years that could have gone poorly out there because he's ready to move on to the next phase of his life. I could see that. I think if they, you know, ride through a postseason and and you know win a World Series, I could see him kind of riding off into the sunset. Yes, he has the 2020 World Series, but like winning a full season World Series in the next year or two, I could see him riding off into the sunset. But I think with even a strong year this year, looking the way he has looked. I for is for my money. I know Kofax had the the peak that was so special, but Kofax, yeah. I, I think Clayton Kershaw might be the best left-handed pitcher of all time. I really do, or at least in the in the live ball era. Um, ERA wise, record wise, winning percentage wise, yeah, you can talk about the postseason. I don't really care. Um, the guy's been in the postseason also more than anybody else. He's pitched a full extra season. In the postseason, 194 innings of 4-2-2 ERA in the postseason. Like, 
he's been there more than anyone else too. So like, that's got to matter for something as well. I, I do think that he, like I I'm taking his career over Randy's. I think Randy seemed like more of a cumulative guy. Yeah. Obviously he had the domination at points that was insane. Like Randy seems more like Shaq to me. Kershaw seems more like uh, you know, LeBron, I guess in that regard. Yeah. Or, or how about a Jordan? Right, because Jordan, Jordan. I, did, I I try to stay away from comparing anyone to Jordan, you know, but like just because of the way Jordan is Jordan. But See, I um, stay away from comparing anyone to LeBron. <laughs> fair, like fair, but you know what I mean by that. So yeah. like, no one's comparing Shaq to to MJ or LeBron. Right, I um, think it's kind of in that regard of just like he a, across the board just dominated the game. Yeah, and, and again, the postseason stuff, I just don't care. I I'm over. I'm so overhearing about that. Like. Same. Same. Um, no, I mean, Kershaw has thrown, what, 16 seasons? This is his 16th. Uh, Randy Johnson threw 22. And, and there are six lefties in the top 30 all time in war, in career war. Lefty Grove is number one. I mean, you know, do with that information what you will. Randy Johnson, two. Warren Spahn, three. Uh, Eddie Plank, four. Steve Carlton, five, who was a 3,000 strikeout guy. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, six, Glavin, seven. So there are seven guys in the top 30. So here's some interesting like comparisons. 3-2-9 ERA career for for Randy Johnson. 2-4-8 for Clayton Kershaw. Uh, That's absurd. What's insane about Randy is just how long he pitched till he's 4,100 innings. Yeah. And now he photographs sports. He's a man. He's the man. He's awesome. <laughs> Four thousand eight hundred and seventy-five Ks versus Kershaw's two thousand eight hundred and thirty-three. So, like, obviously, it's different. But if we're gonna celebrate Sandy Koufax as like the goat, I feel because of his peak yeah. and what he did, I think pretty much we've seen the same peak from Clayton Kershaw, very similar, and yet he's still going at not too far off from the peak. So he's kind of in between the Randy Johnson and the the Sandy Koufax. And I think if you have a balance of those two, you're you could be the best. Walker Bueller had a tweet yesterday, and he just said, "If if you want to know why Clayton Kershaw is the goat in all caps, watch the tape from today's start." And that he said that last night, uh, and, and I totally agree. I think it was just another example of why Kershaw is the the best left-handed pitcher. Maybe yeah. not the most dominant, like Randy could do at times, but over the course of these twelve whatever years. I think with 16 years, excuse me, I think he's just been the most uh, like the most just just polished and well-rounded resume and just best pitcher. I don't know how to describe it. Maybe I just can't put it into words. Well, no, I mean, he's he's goaded like people turn around goaded a lot and and goat may not mean singular. But Clayton Kershaw, even if it doesn't mean singular, even if it means top five goaded and everybody wants to rank shit, Clayton Kershaw is top five. (laughs) Yeah, top five, top five. What? I don't know, but he's top five, top five. Uh, Walker Buehler also just tweeting yeesh a lot with every dodge. Yeah, a lot of yeesh. I guess he does that every home run now. Yeah, I want to hear different words from Walker Buehler. Yeah. PBD so yeah. uh, on that front. All right. Uh, this was a good one, man. A lot of stuff happening. Plan right now is for us three to hop on tomorrow. You're going to Yankees Angels tonight, yeah? Yeah. Um, very nice of our guy Tucker Davidson to – 
to help us out, leave us some tickets, which by the way, you should definitely listen to the arm barn um, with Tucker Davidson. He hosts that with Peter Apple, of course. And um, they were just talking about Shohei Otani on how he, if he finds his command, it's actually a joke. It's over. Um, Tuck's been throwing really well so far this year for the angels and uh, they're in town for the Yankees. And it was really nice of him. So we're going to go early, catch some batting practice. I'll watch Otani hit some balls to like, Brooklyn or wherever that wherever beyond the outfield will be he might leave the stadium uh it'll be really cool so Tucker's the man really appreciate that he's awesome on the podcast you should definitely go check out um I wanted to always want to say show and go now uh go check out the arm barn with Tucker Davidson and yeah I'm pumped to go watch some more Otani and Trout today I'm getting more Otani and Trout than I ever thought I would between the WBC and now the game today I am I'm very happy and very lucky yeah, um, I'm trying to figure out directionally. If Otani hits the ball out to right, it's probably landing at Rikers, um, which That's is right. unfortunate. <laughs> um, if he goes dead central, it may be headed to uh, Port Washington or uh, really far. How about Huntington deep on Long Island? So, so can... do you corny broadcasters look at that before the game and say, he hit that one? So like, do you actually look to where it could potentially be trajectory-wise? Only Chris Berman for the home run derby. Yeah. yeah. I love Chris Bourbon on the home run derby. That guy does his suburban research. Oh, he's he's looked it all up. He's got it like mapped out, mapped out trajectory wise. <laughs> I love the city he pulls out when he does that. Yeah, L.A. home run derby in L.A. That one's headed all the way to Encino. Nice voice crack, real quick. Uh, yeah, there. that was embarrassing. Should That's we okay. uh, should we just start over the whole podcast? Yeah, man. This is just baseball show. <laughs> we will talk to you guys tomorrow.